Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm John Hodge, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Bolivar Mitchell getting benched. The CFL finding Duke Williams for eating nachos. Chris Streveler continuing to make headlines in the NFL. The Red Blacks welcoming back star return man Devontae Dedman. And the Blue Bombers selling out the Banjo Bowl. But first, Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke has to undergo surgery for a Liss Frank sprain in his right foot. The BC Lions are hopeful that Rourke can return by the end of the season, though the odds of that happening seem very low. JC, how do you feel about Rourke likely missing the rest of the CFL season? Well, it's absolutely devastating. Um, we hadn't seen a player go on a trajectory like Rourke has been on this early in his career, really, ever. And people want to bring out the Doug Flugie comparison. Doug Flugie wasn't as good as Rourke is in his first year as a starter. So he's going on a historic pace, and it's really unfortunate to see that derailed. Uh, the numbers right now for his half a season of action are as good as any quarterback's full season of action basically for the last five or six years. So I have a lot of faith in Michael O'Connor going forward uh, as a backup. I really want to see what he can do. Obviously, I'm a UBC guy, so I'm very familiar with O'Connor from uh, my time there while he was playing. But there is no replacing Nathan Rourke. This was the story of the CFL season. This was the biggest story this league has had in a generation, I would argue. And it's unfortunate that we're not going to see it play out uh, and run its course over the end of the year. It's it's devastating. It, it really is. I think that's the best word I could use to describe it. And that's not to say that you know any of us are cheering for Nathan Work or against Nathan Work, but we do cheer for storylines here at Three Down Nation. And obviously, I mean, first of all, you have the excitement right surrounding a young quarterback who is lighting the CFL on fire. Because let's be honest, the, the CFL level of quarterbacking has not been good enough this year on the whole. We're going to talk about that more later in the show. Um, so having anybody step up and light the league on fire, put up video game-like numbers, you know, numbers like, you know, Doug Flutie and Ken Austin and all these guys were putting up in the early mid-90s was exciting. Secondly, to have that be a Canadian player, even better. Then to have it happen for a team that has struggled to put butts in seats and have it be a quarterback from that that province, right? Born right there in BC and Victoria. Nathan Rourke grew up a Lions fan. Now he was raised primarily in Southern Ontario, but cheered for the Lions as a kid because of the fact that he had family back in Victoria and, and, and was born there. Um, now what are we left with, JC? We're left with, okay, well, I guess the Bombers are going to wrap up the West Division probably this week, really, essentially. 
against the Calgary Stampeders. And I'm sorry, but the Winnipeg Blue Bombers winning all the time has become boring. And so heading into the second half of the season, you know, not only is it disappointing to lose this amazing storyline and this amazing player in Rourke, likely for the year, it's doubly disappointing because, frankly, I don't know what CFL fans have to look forward to at this point. Ottawa still stinks. Winnipeg's still killing everybody. I'm granted, I, I suppose they lost to Montreal, but but to me, this robs CFL fans. Doesn't matter which team you cheer for, it robs all of us uh, of the number one storyline. And I can't think of a good, solid second storyline ready to take over this season. It's unfortunate. Yeah, the unfortunate reality of the CFL right now, in part because of the quarterbacking issues that you've alluded to, that I think do need to be dealt with at sort of a, a more systemic level within team front offices is that you know there aren't enough good teams in the CFL right now. The BC Lions just lost the league's biggest star, you know, the biggest storyline. They're going to go in with you know Michael Connor who's completely unproven as a starter and Antonio Pipkin and maybe Kevin Thompson and I don't think their chances uh in this in, in the CFL at all are are really greatly diminished, right? Who do you trust right now under center? more than these unproven guys. You know, they've got a nice hefty lead thanks to what Rourke has been able to do over the first bit of the season. So they can afford a few losses here and still be in a good playoff position. And that's normally not a situation that, you know, is good for entertainment value if you have a season that's virtually determined by, you know, the midway point. Now, Michael O'Connor... Uh, might not go in there and be like Nathan Rourke. He doesn't have to be. If he is simply an average, even a below average quarterback, it's going to be on par with basically what the entire rest of the CFL has under center. Yeah, and maybe it's possible that a a guy like Mason Fine comes in and and leads the Riders on a tear, and, and we all go, whoa, how is this guy on the bench for the first half of the season you know, may, maybe it's possible that somebody somewhere steps up. Maybe Nick Barbuckle finally figures it out in Ottawa. May, maybe we see Michael O'Connor continue some success in BC. Although I, I to agree with you, JC, I don't think there's any chance it'll be at Rourke's level. It will be somewhere below that. Um, but ultimately, just hugely disappointing. This was not only a, a CFL story. Nathan Rourke, I think, was transcending that. I think he was the favorite to win the Lou Marsh Trophy. Hard to imagine that happening now given that he's unlikely to play the entire second half of the season, right? It's easy to give him the award if he throws for 50 touchdowns, breaking you know a 30-year-old record set by Doug Flutie. Uh, hard to do that when it's like, well, he didn't play after Labor Day, but uh, he was really good before that, you guys. Here we go. We got to give him the Lou Marsh. Uh, so disappointing, hugely. Um, I also learned this week what a list Frank is. I had no idea what it was before that. Apparently, I wasn't paying attention to biology class, but I digress. Yeah, I think it's worth touching on that injury just a little bit before we move on because there are some some ramifications here. I mean, for Rourke especially, the Lions have said they are hopeful that he's going to return before the end of the season. That means basically a, a just under a three-month recovery to get back in time for the playoffs now. That is possible with these Liz Frank injuries, even with surgery, but it's highly unlikely. Like that is, he'd have to rehab as well as he's played this season in order to get back in time. There was a study that was done. Obviously, this is a little dated, but between 2000 and 2010, and there are 28 Liz Frank injuries in the NFL, and only three of those players recovered in less than three months. The average recovery time was over 11 months. So it can be quite tricky to come back from these injuries. Now, I have all faith in the effort that Rourke's going to put in, but if he's not back in time for the end of the season and this sort of drags on longer than he hoped, the reality is this is one of the only things that could have affected his chances of going to the NFL after the year is over. And so you have to wonder how that's going to affect that reality. Now, the talent is clear in the games he's already played. I think there's still going to be teams interested in him, but if he's not 100% in time to do workouts uh, once that NFL window hits, 
you have to wonder how comfortable those these NFL teams are going to be signing him to a contract. And then that possibility, that sliver of hope that CFNs may, maybe were holding on to, that he would stay another year, that becomes a possibility now because of this injury. And that's really unfortunate for Rourke. Uh, but maybe we get to see him live out that record-setting pace next year as well. I, I would disagree. I don't think there's any diminished opportunity for Rourke to go to the NFL. The thing I think might hurt him a little bit is the guaranteed money, right? If you're an NFL team, I think with just given what he's put on film, because he has nine games of really, really good film at this point, I don't think you shy away from signing him for one second. I just think you shy away from saying, oh, hey, there are 16 other teams that want to sign him. Okay, let's put X amount of guaranteed money on the table and ensure that this guy signs with us because you don't necessarily want to guarantee money to a CFL quarterback who's hurt, right? So I think the guaranteed money could be a factor, but I, I don't think there's any chance that he won't get signed, at least personally due to this injury, unless it, it, there's some type of horrible, you know, knock on wood, of course, but so, some type of, of terrible thing that happens during rehab and, and he ends up being out for, you know, that 11 months or 12 months that you referenced as an average. One last thing on this topic, I do want to pay the BC line some respect for being extremely transparent and extremely timely in their dissemination of this information regarding Rourke's injury. There are teams in the CFL and in other pro leagues who would have taken this information and tried to hide it, done away with it, and or, 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 or waited weeks and weeks to get it out. And I appreciate that the BC Lions are proactive in, in keeping their fans in the loop, keeping members of the media in the loop, and being extremely clear about this uh, and allowing Rourke to speak to the media. So kudos to the BC Lions. I certainly appreciated it. And I'm sure CFL fans feel the same way because this guy, again, is not a BC Lions story. He's not even a CFL story. He is a Canadian sports story. And having accurate, timely information about what is going on with this injury and his recovery is pertinent. So we appreciate it. The CFL fined Riger's receiver Duke Williams for his touchdown celebration at Commonwealth Stadium in which he entered the VIP uh, field-level fan seeing and helped himself to a plate of nachos. No cheese, though, he said. Should the league have fined Williams for the act? Well, two things. One, uh, that's not a nacho. A chip without (laughs) cheese is just a chip. Let's let's get that correct right out of the way and correct this this awful uh, way in which the media has aired in this story. A chi- a chip without cheese is just a chip. It's not a nacho. OK, now, secondly, I do have some sympathy here for the CFL because last year we saw a player enter the fan enter the stands in Toronto. That was Chris Edwards and try to beat the snot out of a fan. It was a horrible situation. It was a black mark on the league to have a player entering the stands, like fan seating, and and obviously violence occurred. It was terrible. Security completely botched that, it appeared, from the outside. And so having a fan, or pardon me, having a player enter a fan zone is problematic for that reason. Obviously, Duke Williams approached Ryder fans after scoring a touchdown. That's very different than hopping into the stands to accost a fan who has been annoying you. Uh, but from a you know legality side and insurance side of things, I appreciate the CFL's concern with this happening. That said, I hate the fact that Duke Williams got fined for this. I think this is maybe a situation where the CFL could have sent out a memo to players just reminding them of the policy, sending out to teams reminding them of the policy, but don't find Duke. Why? Because this was sensational. It was excellent entertainment. And the fallout from this, like, I want to personally shout out Matthew McGilvery on Twitter, who sent nachos to the league office. This was the greatest act of trolling I think I can ever think of in in my, you know, 10 plus years of being on CFL social media. This was an A-plus effort from him. And uh, I respect the Ryder fans who have set up the GoFundMe to pay for Duke's fine. Duke does not need your help paying for the fine. Though, mind you, he has been fined several times this season, at least through the suspension, the helmet throwing, those things that went on. But I liked everything about this except for the fact that the fine occurred. I appreciate that the CFL needs to keep fans and players safe, but I think this was maybe a situation 
where they could have aired differently. I just want to point out that McGilvery's little joke was absolutely hilarious, but it was unsuccessful because apparently there's no one in the league office at noon on a Friday when it's a game day. Um, How does that work? I, I, that boggled my mind when he was able he was not able to successfully deliver the nachos because there was no one at work so i've got some questions there but in terms of the fine i think the important thing that you point out hodge is that there's a distinction on why duke is being fined i know a lot of riders fans are upset because he's being fined for the celebration that's not actually what it's for it's for him violating the league's security protocol by entering the stands. Now, this is sort of a gray area in my mind because he's not actually leaving the field of play, as it were. This is field-level seating at the back of the end zone. But still, he had to hop over a barricade to get there, and he entered an area where just about anything could have happened. So you don't want that as a league. Now, I do sympathize with some of these suggestions from Rogers fans that there is a double standard here in terms of other players entering or leaving the field of play in some regard, interacting with fans in terms of what they do in Winnipeg, you know, doing the Hardrick hop and, and jumping up on, on the side of the stadium there to interact with fans and, and other interactions around the league that have happened that are similar to that. I don't think there's a tremendous distinction between what that is and what Duke did. So I have some sympathy there, and I think you need to lay out a little bit of a clearer protocol in what is allowed because you don't want a situation where players are not allowed to interact with fans. We want that. I think everyone loved the idea of Duke Williams going over there and grabbing some nachos. I just hope maybe that line is he grabs them over the barricade and eats them in the end zone rather than lounges in the sea. Yeah, and to me, I think the policy is is clear enough. You, you can't cross the barrier, right? And when you're when you're at a stadium, whether it's the Lambeau Leap, the Harder Cop, whatever you want to call it, if you jump onto the barricade, you are not crossing into the stands. You are providing an opportunity for fans to interact with you by approaching that barrier, but ultimately staying on your side. And I think you're exactly right. If if Duke had simply approached the barrier and reached over and taken a chip from a fan that would have been appropriate. And obviously, that still would have provided a viral social media moment. However, having to cross over and sit in the VIP seating, which really made that moment what it was, was ultimately what got him fined. Uh, to me, the other thing I want to say with this is the riders had, it It looked like I couldn't find anything online, but I know TSN, prior to that most recent riders game when they hosted the Lions, there were fans eating nachos. To me, those are the type of moments that teams need to capitalize on even more and really capture people. Because this is something that collectively captured the imagination of CFL fans to at least some extent, right? This was this was a fleeting moment where you had a week or two to really capitalize on this. To me, the riders needed to make this nacho night. They needed to have some type of special on nachos. They needed to have a nacho t-shirt you know, run a thousand of them and sell them just that night. You could even make it some type of pun, you know, like that's Nacho Fine or that's Nacho Chip or that's Nacho Duke. Do something, make it bigger because we're going to talk about the Banjo Bowl a bit later. The Banjo Bowl literally stemmed from just a comment that Troy Westwood made. And we're still talking about it 18 years later because it was capitalized on the right way in an appropriate, pertinent timeline. And it has since become embedded inside the culture of the CFL, right? The collective consciousness of CFL fans. Everybody knows what the Banjo Bowl is, whether you live in Winnipeg, Regina, Toronto, or Vancouver. And so to me, like, again, it's a good start to have have nachos at the stadium. The Bombers, I think, capitalized on this well. Marcus Sales called the Bombers offense vanilla. The Bombers go to BC. They went big. The next Bombers home game in the tailgate area, they were giving out coupons for free vanilla ice cream. Right, That's a clever way to pick up on that. But to me, the riders needed to make this bigger. Nacho night at Mosaic Stadium. You can give them away. You can sell. It doesn't matter. I want, I want nachos. I want t-shirts. If you can whip up a mascot in a week. Or at the, at the very least, have Gainer with the giant platter of nachos walking around. Make this bigger. Make this bolder. That's marketing. Make it happen. 
Unfortunately, I don't think that Duke Williams can keep a plague of nachos in his sock like Marshawn Lynch <laughs> keeps uh, keeps Skiggles. I think that would be a little bit difficult logistically. That's fair. And again, they weren't even nachos. It was just a chip. Bolivar Mitchell and Cody Fajardo were benched at halftime of their respective games this past week. Jake Mayer helped lead the Stamps to a 22-19 victory over the Argos, while Mason Fine threw a touchdown pass and a lopsided loss to BC. Which benching surprised you more, Mitchell's or Fajardo's? Is there a neither option in this pop quiz? Because neither was very surprising to me. Now, in the big historical scheme of things, I think benching Mitchell probably weighs a little heavier on the the collective consciousness of the CFL because of the career that he's had. But neither Bo Levi or Fajardo have had tremendous seasons by any standards. We've seen flashes from Bo, but nothing over a long stretch of games. Certainly his his touchdown to interception numbers have not been fantastic. That offense has not been clicking. And these are two quarterbacks that have been decidedly average to this point in the season. And they haven't necessarily been horrific or bad, but they have not moved the needle for their teams like we've seen the two quarterbacks for the two strongest teams, Zach Caleros and Nathan Rourke, move the needles for their franchises. And to me, that's really the issue here in the CFL. You need to have elite quarterbacks that elevate the people around them. Now, Bo Levi Mitchell has done that in the past, right? He has been that guy. He has not been hit this season. Kogi Fajardo, I don't know if he's ever been that guy. He was a guy who showed a glimmer of potential to be that guy, and that's drifted away over the past two years. So I'm not surprised that either of these franchises are looking at other alternatives. Quite frankly, I was a little bit surprised that the Stampeders weren't more aggressive in potentially going with Jake Mayer to start this season and moving on from Bo Levi Mitchell. Quite frankly, I think they erred in that decision. It's better to move on too soon than too late. And and for the Riders, they certainly have to be looking at other options because right now, Kogi Fajardo does not look like a top half of the CFL quarterback. And if they want to make the playoffs in the situation they're in, if they want to make a run at a home great cup, they need somebody who's going to elevate that team, especially when they're struggling with injuries. Yeah, I thought the more surprising move was was the pulling of Bo at halftime. Uh, to me, it was not surprising at all that Cody Fajardo was replaced. I thought it was maybe a bit surprising how early it happened. But then again, he was truly atrocious in the first half of that game. 41 passing yards and two interceptions in a half of CFL football is shockingly bad. I'm not saying that Cody Fajardo is a bad quarterback, but in this one particular game, that performance in the first half was one of the worst we've seen all season from any quarterback. Probably the worst we've seen from any quarterback in a half of work. Uh, Mason Fine is an unknown, but let's also not forget that three years ago, Cody Fajardo entered the scene in very much a similar way, was virtually an unknown, had a strong pedigree from his time at Nevada, but had bounced around on so many teams as a backup here and there. He was with the Raiders. He was with the Argos. He was with the BC Lions. And then finally, he comes on and he puts on a show. Well, ultimately, Mason Fine has a similar pedigree. He was a star at North Texas. This is kind of his first shot, really, of getting any action. I, I don't think that Mason Fine will start this week. I think they'll give the ball back to Cody Fajardo. But at the end of the day, I think you have to start wondering about how many more chances Cody Fajardo is going to have. You mentioned it, JC. This team is under a tremendous amount of pressure to get to that home great cup. They've lost four of five. Cody Fajardo said that his knee was not a factor in his poor play, which is not right what Craig Dickinson said to TSN after he made the decision to pull Fajardo. He told TSN, well, it's partly play, it's partly the knee. Not good. The flip side in Calgary, I'm not going to say I told you so, but before the season, I voiced a lot of concern over what Bolivar Mitchell had put on the table in 2019 and 2021. He played well out of the gate this year, but that offense 
especially without Kadeem Carey and Malik Henry, both of whom are back this week, fortunately on Thursday against Winnipeg for them. He has not been good. Over the last three seasons, Boley by Mitchell has thrown 38 touchdowns to 30 interceptions. If it were any other quarterback, we'd say fine. But Boley by Mitchell should not be putting up numbers that are best described maybe as McLeod Bethel Thompson-esque and have any of us make excuses for him. He's been average at best this year, and I do not blame the Calgary Stampeders for trying to go out and find someone who's going to put them over the top because Jake Mayer was better than Bo was this past week, and I'm very interested to see what Jake Mayer will do in his first start this season as broken by Three Down Nations. Justin Dunk on Tuesday. Yeah, we don't know what these young quarterbacks will be able to do for their franchises, whether they'll elevate them, take them to the next level, or struggle and prove that they're not the guys. But I like the process of making a decision and going with a young prospect when your existing quarterback is not up to snuff. And I've touched on this before, but I think one of the biggest issues facing the CFL right now is quarterbacking in general and then the conservative conservative nature of front offices in addressing that position. And here's what I mean. The NFL has figured this out, right? If you don't have a top-tier qu- quarterback, it does not matter, right? If you've got a middle-of-the-pack guy, it doesn't really help you. If you've got a bottom-of-the-league guy, it's going to hurt you. You need an elite quarterback. And so you te- see teams being aggressive in pursuing a guy who can be in that top 10 of the league. You know, it used to be you would draft a guy in the first round and you could sit him for years waiting for him to develop. Now, if he's not good by year two, you're trading a top 10 pick to get another top 10 pick to take another shot at the quarterback position because that's the nature of modern football. The CFL hasn't figured that out and to their credit, exactly one team has approached the quarterback position properly in my mind, and that's the BC Lions, and we've talked about it with Nathan Rourke. Maybe they lucked into it because they got the best possible quarterback to do this with, but when Michael Riley retired, there's a lot of teams out there that would have shelled out big money for a veteran backup, no matter how much they liked uh, Nathan Rourke who would have wanted some sort of insurance and made it a competition in camp. The BC Lions said no. They said, we're going to trust our gut on this guy, and we're going to take the leap of faith. And it worked out tremendously for them in the start of the season. And I think they're going to do that again now that Nathan Rourke's hurt. And they're going to go with the guys they have in the building that they trust, that they've scouted, that they've recruited, that they've developed. And they'll do that when Nathan Rourke goes to the NFL as well. And I think that's the correct strategy. Not enough teams are doing that right now. They want to have a guy that may not light the world on fire, but they know is consistent and they can rely on who's a proven commodity. But that's not going to elevate you, especially in a small league. Elite quarterbacking matters. You need to have one of those top three guys. And I would argue you should be looking to have the top guy. At all times, if you're the Calgary Stampeders entering this season, the question you should have been asking yourself is not whether Jake Mayer is better than Bo Levi Mitchell right now. It's who has a better chance of being a top three guy going forward. Is it Bo Levi Mitchell at the end of his career declining or is it Jake Mayer uh, seemingly on the upward trajectory? I think they made the wrong decision there at the quarterback position. I think the Saskatchewan Rough Riders don't have a legitimate got top three guy in Kogi Fajardo and need to find one. And hopefully this point in the season is a trigger for them to go forward and try and emulate what BC did and take a leap of faith on an unproven quarterback. And hopefully they find somebody and it elevates the league as a whole. Well, let's, let's also mention, because there's another name we haven't brought up here, which is Dane Evans, right? If you go back to 2019, it was like, wow, okay, the future of CFL quarterbacking is in good hands. You've got, okay, Michael Riley and Bolivar Mitchell might be getting to the end, but you've got Dane Evans stepping up. you got Cody Fajardo stepping up. Look at this quarterback play that's going on, and those two have not continued taking those steps to become the next elite passers. Right now, they're more following the trajectory of guys like Jonathan Jennings or or guys like James Franklin 
where it's they're they're looking more like flashes in the pan than guys who are able to continue having success. And don't get me wrong, having continued success at an elite level in the CFL is an extremely hard thing to do. Not many players are able to accomplish that. But if you look at the quarterback landscape of the league three, four years ago, it's disappointing how few of those players who look to be future stars have lived up to that hype. Because right now, JC, I would just as soon take Taylor Cornelius or Matthew Schiltz than I would take guys like Cody Fajardo, Dane Evans, guys who are supposedly supposed to be the next best thing in the CFL. It's been disappointing this year. Quarterbacking outside of Nathan Rourke and Zach Kolaris. It's been very disappointing. The Ottawa Red Blacks have signed star return specialist Devontae Dedman after he was released by the Miami Dolphins. Can the CFL's ringing most outstanding special teams player help the Red Blacks turn the corner? No. (laughs) I'm sorry. No. This team was shockingly bad this past week. And I'm not trying to be negative. The reason that I'm upset about the the state of the Red Blacks is because Ottawa has a tremendous young fan base. It's a diverse fan base. It's a reinvigorated fan base. And our nation has proven that it was possible all along to have great football in the city of Ottawa, right? I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s when all I heard about was football will never work in the nation's capital. The CFL is dead there. It's not going to happen. Well, the Red Blacks have succeeded not not because of their on-field product. They've succeeded in spite of their on-field product for the last three or four seasons. That team looked disinterested this past week. That performance in the second half was truly atrocious and getting absolutely crushed by the visiting Edmonton Elks. It was a battle of two-win teams, and the Red Blacks were not even... Pardon me. A two-win team versus a one-win team, and the Red Blacks were not even competitive through the second half of the game. I, Mark Gowdy got on Twitter, their president and CEO, said, asking fans to keep the faith. Paul Apolice went on local radio asking fans, you know, saying we're going to trust the process. To me, I appreciate Gowdy and Lapolice trying to provide some leadership here, but fans have no reason to quote-unquote keep the faith or trust any process at this point. Your team has won four games in the last two years and seven games in the last three years. I believe they've won one home game during that period of time. That's shockingly bad. And I appreciate that the Red Blacks are going to another starting quarterback this week. They announced they're going to bring in Nick Arbuckle as the guy. He's going to get his first start there, which is all well and good until you realize, well, he's played twice now in, in you know, in, in in a relief role of Caleb Evans, he's thrown two picks and no touchdowns. So, you know, maybe it's possible. We'll, we'll see the Nick Arbuckle revenge game. He'll throw for 350 and three touchdowns in Edmonton this week. But if I'm a Red Blacks fan, I don't want anybody to ask me for patience at this point. I just want to see results because that team had a big test this past week and they failed it miserably. Yeah, the The record you're referring to at home one and nineteen in their last twenty home games. Shocking. Why, why would anyone pay money to go watch a team in stadium when you know the result is that certain? If you can't get a victory more than once in twenty tries at home, I'm pretty sure you any other team in sports can do better than that. The Ottawa Red Blacks are historically bad at home. Now, what makes it worse for me is this is a better team than that. The roster that general manager Sean Burke put together this offseason, I think a lot of us really liked the way it was constructed. We saw the talent level go up from what it had been a year ago. And I think that has been proven true on the field. I like some of the elements that they've brought into that building. They are better than a one-win football team right now. But the finger has to be pointed at head coach Paul Lapolice because he is not getting it out of them. And that team looks disinterested. That offense looks inept, which is supposed to be his specialty. And he's making some really questionable coaching decisions, not just in this past game, but all throughout the season. And you have to start to wonder, and I think it's far past time to wonder, 
about whether they need to move on from Paul Lapolis if they're going to get the most out of this roster. Now, I really like Lapolis. I think he's a good guy. I liked him when he was on TSN. I think he's done some tremendous things as an offensive coordinator. But some of us are just not built for certain roles. And he just might be a guy who's not you know, designed to take on all that responsibility of a head coach and an offensive coordinator. Because clearly the results are not good enough for the level of roster that he's got. And I know they've lost Jeremiah Mazzoli for this season. And that's a huge blow. But they were winless with Jeremiah Mazzoli as well, right? And Caleb Evans has shown some flashes. And now they've got Nick Arbuckle. There is no excuse for their record in this terrible East division to not be competitive. And right now, I my prediction for last week was that the Red Blacks would lose. And the way I phrased it in our weekly picks was, Ottawa should win this game. They won't. And that's how I feel about them this season is that they go into every game or they go into a lot of these games with better rosters than some of these other teams, you know, and they can't win them because they just don't have the leadership right now to pull that off. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this too. I, I was absolutely in the same boat as you, JC. I like this roster. Mark Gowdy was in the press box at the opening game of the CFL season in Winnipeg. And I spoke with him and I said, I think you guys got a good team. And he said, I think so too. And and that was a very common consensus at the start of the year. And it's very disappointing to see how poorly that team has played. I mean, the, the, the drop from Darvin Adams, you know, I, I watched Darvin Adams in Winnipeg for six years. I I've seen him make that catch a million times terrible drop. The defense could not get Edmonton off the field that entire second half of the game. It's unfortunate. To me, the most, and I'll touch on your Lapalise comments there, JC, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Paul Lapalise as an offensive coordinator, but he would, when he was on TSN 1200 on Monday, he was asked about his team's performance in the second half and about halftime adjustments, and he essentially denied that halftime adjustments were at all a factor in the team's loss and just blamed execution which to me, the translation is, no, my game plan's great. The players aren't good enough, which I'm sorry, is just not something that leaders say. Of course, I'm paraphrasing his words. Feel free to check them out on the site or the original interview at TSN 1200. But to me, that is not the statement of a leader. That is the statement of someone who's looking to pass the buck, which is not appropriate when you're a head coach and your team is one and eight. And as you said, JC, a weak division, That team is still technically only three wins out of first place, but it's hard to imagine them winning anything at this point in time. You can't, you got, you got beaten by Edmonton by 18 points at home. That's crazy. Well, we'll see. Maybe Devontae Dedman will help them, but I'll also say this. Devontae Dedman was there in 2021. Team stunk then. I'll help him get a few points. Yeah. He'll, he'll help give the home team, home fans something to cheer about. Stay, stay in there, our nation. I feel for you. You're the best thing about the Ottawa Red Blacks right now. It's you, not the team. Chris Streveler continues to shine in preseason action with the New York Jets, this time completing 8 of 11 pass attempts for 119 yards, one touchdown, and one pick to lead the team to a 24-16 victory over the Atlanta Falcons. Head coach Robert Saleh gave Streveler props after the game, saying, quote, he's a warrior and a fighter, and it's been cool to watch him play, close quote. JC, how do you feel about the Strevolution sweeping the Big Apple? Why, it's blowing me away right now because I don't think we've seen Chris Strevel play this complete uh, football game ever in his career. The way he's looked in preseason so far has been tremendous, both as a runner, as we've become accustomed to Chris Strevel, but also he looks much improved as a passer right now, which is important for him. And I think he's quickly playing his way either onto the New York Jets or onto another team for this season. Because I know they've got a bit of a backlog of some proven quarterbacks in in that Jets QB room. Obviously, uh, Zach Wilson is going to be injured for just the start of the season, but he's going to be back quickly. Joe Flacco and then Mike White, who's also started games for that team, are all ahead of him on the depth chart. But Chris Strevler has outplayed Mike White considerably in his preseason performances. 
and is looking like a guy who can be a viable NFL backup or third stringer, which is you know tremendous for him. I I love to see Chris Strebler have success. Now I've I've ribbed him before because I don't think he's ever going to be you know a legitimate starting quarterback at any level even the CFL, because I just don't trust his level of accuracy. But he's a tremendous athlete. He's damn exciting to watch. And I'm glad to see him have success as a CFL alumnus in the NFL. Well, and to me, Chris Streveler is not a weapon who should be used as a traditional starting quarterback. He is somebody who should factor into your game plan every single week, even if he is your third stringer. And I know last week, JC, you talked about how the analytics show that, oh, having a receiver is better than a a quarterback, blah, blah, blah. And all you analytics nerds can go huddle around a campfire somewhere and talk about the numbers. To me, I want the best football players, and Chris Streveler is a better football player than a lot of guys who are on NFL rosters. I don't care what position they're on. I think Chris Streveler is showing exactly right now what he showed in the CFL, which is that he is an elite football player. He's not an elite quarterback. He's not an elite passer, but he is an elite football player. The way in which he can make plays happen is unbelievably fun to watch. It is must-watch entertainment value. We've seen fans all over social media, NFL fans, I should say, in the States, you know, tweeting about how Chris Streveler is this new and amazing phenomenon, which is funny as CFL people who have known this for years and years, as many of our listeners have known for years and years. Chris Streveler has always been that guy. You're just learning about him now in 2022, four years after the fact. Uh, but to me, he is somebody who should undoubtedly make the Jets roster. I'm not saying he will. It's likely that they will cut him because at the end of the day, they've invested in Mike White, you know, Joe Flacco. I, I don't I don't personally really see the value in having a 35, 36-year-old Joe Flacco around, but obviously they do. And then Zach, you know, Zach Wilson, he's he's a former number two overall pick. You're you're not you're not gonna do anything about that for another year or two. Uh, and that's if he plays really terribly, as you said, JC. If you if you're not in it by year three, year four, maybe you move on. But to me, whether or not Chris Streveler is in New York this season or elsewhere, he has shown that he belongs. No, you should not have him drop back to pass, you know, do that five, seven step drop 30 times a game, which by the way, I thought was a massive flaw in the way in which the Arizona Cardinals used him. He saw a fair amount of action there behind Kyler Murray. And I was extremely disappointed watching those games and going, why are you asking Chris Streveler to do this? You may as well ask a fish to climb a tree. Like, let Chris Streveler go out there and be Chris Streveler and and call the plays accordingly and and plan around that accordingly because he could be an effective weapon when used properly. I thought he looked very comfortable in both preseason games. And while, again, whether it's the Jets or elsewhere, I'm very excited to see what he's able to do this season, provided that he's given an opportunity. Yeah, I the one viral clip of Streveler that's going around is his little eight-yard run where he makes a tremendous cut and leaves a guy sort of grasping at air uh, has become viral on social media. There's some great commentary tracks over the top of it if you go and look it up right now. But on that play, I think it's also worth pointing out there's a little CFL on CFL violence because as he spun away, he evaded a blitz from none other than Winnipeg Blue Bombers D. Elford, DeAndre Elford, who was an all-star cornerback for Winnipeg last year when they won the Great Cup. He's now with the Atlanta Falcons. He's played really well in preseason, but he couldn't catch Chris Strebler. And you see him on the ground after that play goes past him, just absolutely flummoxed. Like, how am I supposed to get this guy? Like, he's so fast, so athletic, so big. Uh, little D. Elford had no chance against Chris Strebler on that play. Well, and full credit to D. Alford. He was an all-star last year, sensational player for the Bombers. But even had he touched Chris Streveler, how are you bringing him down, right? Like D. Alford's given up 45 pounds in that situation. Chris Streveler, again, I'm not saying he's an elite fo- or an elite quarterback, but to me, he is and has always been an elite football player. If this was the 1970s, he'd be on the field every play. 19, 1950s, he would be on defense, and, he, and he'd probably be an all-star uh, at outside linebacker or safety. He's Jackie Parker. That's, you You think Chris Strebler is Jackie Parker? Old spaghetti legs? 
I, that's probably not a bad comparison, especially when you look at how terrible Jackie Parker's passing stats were, albeit in a very different era. Anyways, on this day in 2017, Nick Lewis became the CFL's all-time receptions leader when he caught his 1,030th career pass. The longtime Stampeder would retire at the end of the season with the Montreal Alouettes, finishing with 1,051 catches for 13,778 yards and 68 touchdowns. Lewis was inducted into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame in 2021. JC, I'm curious, what is your favorite Nick Lewis memory? I love the thick Nick era when he looked like an out-of-shape nose tackle playing receiver, and he'd go out against some poor rookie American halfback who's like, what is this guy? And he'd go to try and make a tackle, and this... 260 pound 30 plus year old receiver would hurdle him in a single bound and rumble, rumble for more yards. There was nothing more beautiful than that. The I've, I've made some fun at Nick Lewis for his, his time coaching the lions in, in recent weeks, but as a player, what was incredible is how successful he was throughout his entire career and how every year he got larger and somehow it never impacted his athletic ability. Forget the training camp weigh-in. There was no requirement for Nick Lewis at any weight. He could go out there and be an elite playmaker, and I absolutely love that. I will say I think out-of-shape nose tackle is a little bit harsh. Maybe (laughs) out-of-shape middle linebacker, but uh, I I feel you, JC. The thick Nick era was also my favorite, and... um, I'll say this. I don't think we'll ever see another receiver in the CFL like Nick Lewis. You could you could watch this league for the next century. There will never be another Nick Lewis. That was Hodge's heritage moment. It's now time for the three-minute drill. Here we go. Riders running back Jamal Mora will miss the next six to eight weeks due to a broken hand. Is that a big deal for Saskatchewan? I think it's mildly significant. Jamal Mora has been fantastic. The good news for Riders fans, Frankie Hickson, also looks great, and I like to see him get more action here in Morrow's absence. I think he'll do very well. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers sold out the Banjo Bowl almost a month before the game was scheduled to take place. Is that a surprise, Hodge? It's not a surprise. This game sells out every single year, and it is must-watch entertainment. Edmonton Elks running back James Wilder Jr. announced his season is over and that he'll have to undergo spinal surgery to continue his career. Have we seen the last of James Wilder Jr.? I hope not. I hope he can come back from this, but the tone of his statement in revealing this injury seemed to be questioning at best his future and this seems like it's a significant issue. It may be time for James Wilder Jr. to step away from from the game i know he's got some things on the business side going on uh, down in florida Uh, maybe it's time to focus on that really unfortunate because a tremendous tremendous player he was the ticats signed former alouettes defensive back rodney randall jr is that a good signing i mean he's played boundary halfback in this league that's the toughest spot to play in the secondary can't hurt to bring him in as a depth player the Ticats move perennial all-star linebacker Simone Lawrence back onto the six-game injured list. Is that a big blow? I think it's a blow, but not a huge one, right? They've dealt without Simone Lawrence this season already. I think they've done well, and he's no longer, in my mind, the best linebacker on that team because Jovan Santos-Knox is having a tremendous season in the middle. Yeah, it hurts to lose Simone, but they'll be able to get past it over the next couple of weeks. Saskatchewan suspended American linebacker Gary Johnson Jr. one game for violating the team's code of conduct. Is that justified? Well, I have a ton of questions about this, none of which the riders would be willing to answer. When Garrett Marino went through all of that, you know, I believe Dave Dickinson said they would have sat him for a game or two, though they're not necessarily able to suspend players as a team. That has to come from the league. The team can fine, but not suspend. All of a sudden, the team is suspended. I'm not sure how this works. The New Orleans Saints plays Canadian offensive lineman Sage Dockstater on injured reserve and then released him with a settlement. Do you think we'll see him in the CFL anytime soon? 
well, it'll be some time if it's injury related, right? He's got to get healthy, but I think he is going to be in the CFL at some point with the Toronto Argonauts who drafted him. He's a tremendous prospect, could be a starter at tackle at some point in his CFL career. The Raiders posted a $3.9 million profit for the 2021-2022 fiscal year. Is that good news for the green and white? It absolutely is. Obviously, the team incurred greater losses, I think, of to the tune of $7.5 million in 2020. But to get out of that hole by that much in just one season, I think is really good news, especially because, of course, the Riders will get a big boost from hosting the Grey Cup this year. The Dallas Cowboys waived Canadian kicker Liram Hyralahu and appears set to roll with former CFL kicker Brett Maher. Is that a surprise? It is surprising to me because by any CFL pan- fan's opinion, Liram Harlahu is far superior to Brett Maher as a kicker. And I think he's made more kicks in preseason as well. But clearly the Dallas Cowboys, from what they've seen in practice and their prior experience with Brett Maher, remember he was their team's kicker for a short little stretch there, hit some massive field goals, if I recall correctly. I think some well outside of 50 uh, at the time. They trust him a little bit more with that job than Haralahu. Andrew Harris said he believes he has more gas left in the tank, but hasn't ruled out retiring after suffering a season-ending chest injury. Have we seen the last of the future Hall of Famer? I mean, I think Andrew Harris will play as long as a team is willing to have him. To me, the question is, does he get signed? Toronto signed him this year. I don't think they were the only team willing to sign him. I think Winnipeg would have been happy to bring Andrew Harris back on a small deal. They did make him a contract offer that he deemed unacceptable. Does somebody bring him in at the age of 36? I I think there's a chance, but I I would not at all be surprised if we have seen the last of Andrew Harris. And if so, hey, the Hall of Fame awaits. We thank you, as always, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see you again next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.